Hi friends, this is Jeff. Thank you for tuning in to the Unchained Gospel Podcast, where we let the lion out of its cage in order to set the captives free from theirs. The following is part two of a three-part series entitled Walk This Way, three studies on the Christian walk. Today's episode is entitled Walk This Way in His Life and Likeness. Last week, for those of you that were here, we started this little three-part look at the Christian walk and what it really is. Uh, I think the Christian walk is a cliche that we kind of tune out sometimes when we talk about it, but we want to reclaim it and we want to, to you know, boast in the, the walk to Calvary that Jesus did and we follow in his footsteps. He says, take up your cross and follow me. And we died with him and we've been raised with him and the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead has given life to our mortal bodies, it says in Romans. And uh, last week we looked at uh, Ephesians 4, 1 through 16, talking about the importance of the unity of the body of Christ and how we should be yielded to his spirit because his spirit dwells in each of us and has given us each a specific gift and calling to use to edify each other and to build up the church uh, and how we should not be so concerned about temporal things and, and different skills that other people have. We should be seeking out the calling that God has placed on our life and how we can use it to edify other believers. Um, because ultimately, if the, if the body of Christ is built it up, it, it reveals the true nature of what God has intended for the world. If, uh, it's a testimony of the glory of God when the people look at the church and they see the disciples of Christ loving each other. It says, you'll, they'll know you're my disciples by the love that you have for one another. And uh, as we continue on tonight, you saw it says, walk this way in his life and likeness. Last week we looked at walk this way in unity. So let's just jump right in in verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And you can see as Paul goes on and he tends to run his sentences together, you can kind of feel him start to turn up the volume a little bit. He's like, no. Enough of this. We move on. God has given us the spirit to live inside of us, to say no to that old life and to say yes to what God has for us. True righteousness and holiness. In 1 Peter, I love it because he says in uh, chapter 4, Peter, you can tell, you can sense that fed up same attitude. He's like, we've spent enough of our past lifetime doing the will of the Gentiles. And now they think it's strange that we don't want to run with them to the same flood of dissipation, it says in the New King James, which basically means the same riotous living. We've spent enough of our time doing that. If you want more of it, then I don't understand what you're doing. You know, that's what Paul and Peter, you can sense that. And it's like, don't you understand? Has your mind been renewed? Because God has given us a, a new life that has been created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And he goes on and says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. And you can see how that connects to what we talked about last week, the body of Christ being knit together. 
Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from among you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. There's a lot of verses we just read. But you can see, as Paul goes on, he says, we've been renewed. He's made us new again. We've, been, we've gained access to this new life that is created after the likeness of God. The image of Christ, as it were. And he says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. How do we grieve the Holy Spirit of God? By not allowing him to do the work that he was put in us to do, which is to conform us more into the image of Christ. The longer we hold on to the past life, the longer we follow in the will of the Gentiles, we bring the Holy Spirit of God into those scenarios, and it grieves him. He's a person. He's not a thing. And that's something that, we, that I am convicted when I read that, because I know there's been so many times when, as a Christian, I walked places I shouldn't have walked, I saw things I shouldn't have seen, and the Holy Spirit, I, you know, I was sealed, I, I had confessed Christ and I had accepted him as my Savior, but I had allowed the world and my old life to get a hold of me so that I was bringing the Spirit into these places where he did not want to go. And he says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. How did God forgive us in Christ? If you recall, when Jesus was on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. In order to be a Christian and to have the, the love of Christ that he talks about, walking in love, you have to forgive without receiving an apology. Because they were crucifying him, and Jesus was forgiving them as he was getting crucified. They weren't saying, we're sorry about this, we know it's wrong, but hey, what can I do? No, he forgave them even when they were committing wrong toward him. And I think sometimes as Christians, we tend to say, I'll forgive them. I know the Bible commands me to forgive. The Bible, yeah, I'll forgive them like Christ forgave them, as long as they apologize, as long as they come to me and admit they're wrong, then sure, forgiveness all around. But Jesus, they didn't apologize to him for what they were doing, but he said, I forgive them. Same with Stephen, we looked at on Sunday morning, when he said, don't lay this charge, don't lay this, this sin to their charge. It was a complete selfless act of love because it didn't matter that his life was ending on this earth because he knew he had the promise of eternal life. And I want to look at this this idea of being in the likeness of God. What does that mean? Um, And how do we walk that way? How do we put on this new man? What is this? What do we, you know, we hear this old man, new man, old self, new self. What doesn't make sense to us sometimes when we get lost in things? Um, the, the one verse that we looked at last week was 1 John 2, 6. And if you could bring that up, Kat, it should be the first verse there. It says, He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. So had Jesus, he could have just come to earth on the day he was crucified, been crucified, and there you have it. We're, sa- we're saved and redeemed for the rest of our lives, and hallelujah. But he was born, he actually spent nine months in a womb, learned how to walk. You think about that? The Son of God learning how to walk. 
stubbing his toes, falling down on his cloth diapered bottom, you know? <laughs> you think about all the things that he learned to do as a human. And uh, he walked, you know, he walked everywhere. He didn't have a camel. I don't read that anywhere in the Bible, but it always says like he set his face like a flint. He went to Jerusalem. He went to Samaria because he had to. He walked everywhere. He lived in a human suit so that we could look at him and say, that's my example. If I claim to be a follower of Christ or a disciple of Christ, then I follow him. The way he walked, I walk. Um, I, I believe in First Peter, it says that we should uh, follow in his steps, it says. Uh, another verse is Colossians 2, 6 and 7. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord. And how did we receive him? We talked about this last week. We received him by faith. We didn't you know, do a bunch of good works and then Jesus said, Okay, you've earned me. Now I come into your life. We receive him by faith when we hear the truth of the gospel. So if we receive him by faith, we also need to walk in that same way. We need to walk by faith, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. So when we talk about putting on the new man, it has to do with our frame of mind. He says, be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Um, in Colossians Three, which Colossians is, is almost like a parallel epistle. And we had two, two, six and seven up there. But if you'll turn to Colossians 3, there, there's a very similar uh, text. But he, get, he gets a little bit of different inflection here. In my, little, in my Bible, the header is put on the new self. So I think it's pretty accurate for what we're talking about. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, at, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And we looked at this when we had communion a few weeks back about being hidden in Christ. What does that mean? When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And keep that in mind, that idea of idolatry. We're going to look at that. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked, past tense, when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, all these ugly words, right? You're like, Jeff, okay, get on with it. And obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, and pay attention, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So, in... The new self is being renewed as we come to a knowledge, a knowledge after the image of its creator. So what's this idea of image? You know, we, we want to be in the likeness of Christ. We want to identify with Christ. That's how we find our identity. Well, how do we do that? How do we look like Jesus? How do we make people who come into our, you know, fellowship or however you want to say it, how do we make them feel as if they've been in the presence of God? How do we reflect that? In 2 Corinthians, it says uh, in verse 318, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the spirit of the Lord. Um, I'm going to skip ahead to the book of Genesis. I know I said ahead, but I mean in the verses, sorry. Uh, we're going to go back to the book of Genesis. And you're like, oh man, here we go. <laughs> But that's okay. You guys are familiar with these verses. I'm sure of it. Genesis 1, verse 26. 
And God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. You guys have heard this before, I think? Okay, good. Um, So when God created man, the entire purpose was for man to bear the image of God to the world and for God to receive the glory, right? And in Genesis 2-7, it says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. So we see this, and God, he put his, literally, when it it talks about God breathing, it's the spirit. He put it, and we became a a living being. And then unfortunately, you guys know the rest of the story, right? God said, don't eat of this fruit over here because if you do so, you'll die. And the enemy came and said, you know what? You won't die. Actually, you'll be like God, which is really how he created you to be, right? He created you in his image. But the problem is, is that God condescended and made us in his image And the enemy tries to get us to ascend and to put ourselves in the place of God just like he did. And anything we put in God's place is an idol. And we talked about that, idolatry. All sin, the root of it is idolatry. As soon as we say that our creator is no longer above us, but is equal with us, then that's how the old life starts to dominate what is supposed to be the new life. And we see the result in uh, Genesis 3. 22, we see the old man take over. God created us to to walk with him, to have fellowship with him, to be in communion with him, to bear his image to the world. The enemy was allowed access. You know, it said in uh, Ephesians about don't give opportunity for the devil. And Chris says it all the time, and it's totally true. If we bear the image of Christ... The only ability the enemy has to get to us is what we allow him to have. We give him opportunity. And he is opportunistic. When he tempted Jesus in the wilderness, it says that after all these temptations, he left for a more opportune time. We don't know when that time is. It's not in the Bible. I know in the movie, The Passion of the Christ, it shows Satan right there in the garden when when Jesus is praying that the cup will pass for him. And he's saying, you can't die for the sins of the world. It's not going to happen. The enemy will find any chink or any, any open door or, or place of consent to come in and to mock God and to mock who we are in God and to say, well, if you think God's so great, then why don't you strive to be more like him? But then we start to make it a man-made thing. We start to try to walk, not, by, not as we receive Jesus, like it said in that verse, we receive Jesus by faith and walking in faith. We start to try to walk the walk based on our own strength. And we start to build up monuments for ourselves and idols and say, look how great I am. Look how righteous I am. Gen- sorry, Genesis three twenty-two. it says, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand, and this is God's grace even in Genesis 3, lest he re- reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever in a fallen state. Therefore, God sent him out of the garden. He drove him out. Something that 
was supposed to be a beautiful relationship was broken because man tried to reach up and say, I am equal with God. And if you look at all of the sins that are listed in Ephesians and all that stuff, all of it becomes, you know what? I understand what God has for me, but I don't care. I'm going to get it for myself. And there's not a clearer picture. Actually, let me jump ahead. There's a couple more verses, I think, Cadifer, in there. Genesis 5, 1 and 2. It says, this is the book of the genealogy of Adam. In the day that God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them and called them mankind in the day they were created. That is how it was always intended to be, that we would bear the image of God and be in his likeness. And it, because of our sin, it was broken. So when Jesus Christ came and said, no more, I'm putting to death everything that mocked God for thousands of years, everything that man decided to do on their own, whether it was even in, in good intentions of trying to reconnect with God, religion or whatever it may have been, I'm taking that all on myself and I'm putting it to death on the cross. It says in Colossians 2, he wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, nailing it to the cross and making a public spectacle of it and triumphing, triumphing over all principalities and powers. He said, that old man, that old way of life where you just go and eke out a living and try to be righteous or don't even care and just act in all unrighteousness when it said that they go past feeling. And we've done that. We've lived our lives that way, I'm sure. We could all write a laundry list of the things we're like, oh, I, don't, I, you know, I, I knew it was wrong, but I kind of pushed past that boundary anyway. And, uh, you know? and that's kind of what Paul does. He, he makes that list so ugly. And you read it and you go, ugh. Oh, malice. Oh, oh, sexual immorality. Oh, why would anybody want to do that? And he's like, exactly. That's what we're supposed to put behind us. That's what we're supposed to throw off. And we put on the new clothes, the new man, Jesus Christ. Um, just to hammer home this idea of how we're supposed to be God's image bearers. Genesis 9, 6 also says, whoever sheds man's blood by man, his blood shall be shed. And you're like, what? For in the image of God, he made man. That is who we are. That is who we were always intended to be, was to be God's image to the world. And it got marred. It got tainted because we decided we knew better. You guys are familiar with Romans 1. Um, it sounds like a very familiar uh, situation. In Romans 1.20, it says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. So his creation itself is pointing back glory to him. That's the whole point. You look at the sunset and you're like, man, God is awesome. Just like his created beings, humans. When people look at us, they're supposed to say, man, look at this. This is, this is the image of God. This is glorifying God. But guess what? Unfortunately, something bad happened. It says, um, in the things that, sorry, for, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened, which was the same wording that Paul used in Ephesians that we read. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And check this out and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. 
what God created to bring glory to him, we started to look at the creation and say, this is God. This is where it's at. Therefore, God gave them up in lusts of their bodies to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, just like the enemy did in the garden, and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. This is, you're like, man, this is, I thought this was supposed to be about walking in the newness of life. You're killing me here, Jeff. Come on. The problem is, is until we understand that, we don't understand and appreciate what God has offered us when he says, you can be free of that. All of that nastiness that has been racked up over thousands of years, it's gone. I killed it on the cross with my son and I triumphed over it. So in light of that, what are you doing with it? I, I think we kind of walk around with the spiritual weekend at Bernie's mentality where Jesus put our sins on the cross, but we want to party with it, even though it's dead. You know what I mean? Like, just picture that. If you ever saw that movie, uh, they just pretend that their boss, who they don't want to get accused of killing him or whatever, uh, so they pretend he's alive. And they're dancing with them, and everybody's partying. And you're like, that's what we do with our sin. We're like, I know it's I know it's dead. I know it's over. But let's try to, try to eke as much entertainment out of it as possible. And it doesn't make any sense. Why would we want to do that? So bringing it back to Ephesians, when we look at this idea of the old man and the new man, he says in verse 22, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness, not man-made righteousness, not in religion, to allow yourself to be conformed into the image of God. It's encouraging when you read this because you say, wait a minute, okay. So we, we, we screwed it up by accepting ourselves as though we were equal with the creator and God intended us to be in his image. We blew that. And then the rest of the Bible is about him making it a way to reconcile it all back. Isn't that a crazy thing? Not only that, but if you read the Bible closely, you'll see that God knew that Adam and Eve were going to do that. And even before that, he had a plan so that man could be reconciled and be conformed into the image of his son so that all glory would go towards the sun. You're like, this is crazy. The new, the, when we look at walking this way, in his life and likeness, Romans 6, and the book of Romans in general just hits it all over the place, but when we talk about our sins and our old life being nailed to the cross, it's not a figure of speech. It's something spiritual and supernatural that happened. In Romans 6, Verse 3 says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. That's what's available to us. And he goes on and says, For if you've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. 
Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. And Jesus said, I go away and I will send the comforter and he will teach you the truth. He will, he will guide you into all truth. And we talked about this before, about how Jesus commended his spirit to the Father on the cross when he died. And that same spirit came back into his mortal body and raised him from the dead. And that same spirit is what God says, here, live. Live eternally. And that's the life that we are called to walk in. That same life that he offered to us. Think about this. This is pretty crazy. God created us in his likeness. The enemy tempted us by saying, make God in your likeness. You be like God. We screwed that up. So what does it say in Hebrews, uh, I'm sorry, Philippians 2.5, it says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the likeness of God, didn't think equality with God something to be grasped. And I'm trying to turn there so I can finish it. (laughs) But made himself, he emptied himself, it says, by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of what? Men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So, what the enemy tempted us with is by saying, make yourself like God, okay? Even though God created us to be in his image, we had to get our hands on it. Jesus said, you know how I'm going to make this right? I, as God, am going to empty myself of that and become in the likeness of man. So the thing that we wanted to achieve in ourselves, right, that, that attaining to God, he said, no, I, as God, am going to come down and condescend to be like you and to walk so that you can see how you ought to walk. Do you see what happens here? And when he says, let this mind be in you, it's that mind of complete and utter submission to the Father. And it's the, the mind that we looked at in Colossians when it says to set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth, because you died and your life is hidden in Christ. So when we walk in the new life, we are accessing that same mind that was in Christ when he said, you know what? You're not going to come to me and be like me. That's not going to happen. I'm going to come to you and live among you. And it says that in... Um, 2 Corinthians, which is another, and we're, we're going to end here, but uh, 2 Corinthians, if you just read the whole book, I, I think sometimes we do ourselves a disservice by following the, the, the chapter breaks and following the headers in our Bible because we lose the context of what's being said. 2 Corinthians 3, I, kinda, I read from it before, but about but beholding the glory of the Lord and being transformed into the same image. He goes on further. And he says, uh, let me just find it here. Sorry. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. 
For God, in verse 6, it says, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And then in verse 16 of chapter 4, he says, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, and we still have the the physical consequence of sin nature, you know, we die because Adam died, you know, that, that whole thing. We still decay and we get old and gray. But our inner self is renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And then he continues on in chapter 5 and he says, For while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed. What is he talking about? Putting on Christ, the glory and the magnificence and the life of Christ, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. The Spirit of God lives in us as a guarantee that He is going to swallow up the mortal bodies that we have with eternal life. And we are to call on this and to set our minds on this and to walk with this mind, with this perspective. This is also the same chapter where we look and we say, He says, um, So we are always of good courage. We know that while we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. That is our motivation when we walk. We want to please God. And then you guys know the verse, right? One of my favorite verses in all the Bible, it says, And He died for all, in verse 15, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for Him who for their sake died and was raised. And you all know verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. When we look at this, obviously we read the laundry list of sins and we go, oh, they keep sticking to me. I'm guilty of all these things. And he says, that's your old life. Like, like Peter said in 1 Peter 4, we've spent enough of our past lifetime doing the will of the Gentiles. Why waste our time now? We redeem the time, it says, and we're going to talk about that next week. We, don't, we can't undo the past, but what God has done is that he's thrown that away and given us a completely new life. And we talked about it before. He uh, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, that we should walk in them. So when we walk and we put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, he, he lists, this is what it looks like. When you're walking with Christ, this is what it looks like. You're not lying to each other anymore. It's a natural outflow of when we set our minds on the things above and on the new man. And then in verse five, uh, chapter 5, verse 1, he says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. You know, everybody wants to get their own. I'm not imitating anybody. I'm unique. I'm a hipster. I have this mustache, and no one else does. I remember there's a, uh, a, a demotivational poster. It says, just remember, you're unique, just like everybody else. And I think we kind of get that way, right? We're like, no, I'm going to carve out my own path. Nobody's, nobody's going to tell me what to do. I'm not going to be accountable to anything. But I would say, yeah, if I'm going to imitate anyone, it's going to be God. I want to be conformed into the likeness of Christ. 
I want to live out the life that he has offered to me and live in a way that reflects him to the world so that he gets glory. Not so I take glory on myself and I make the creature at the same level as the creator. And how do we imitate God? It says we walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Now, if you put that verse in what we're talking about here, he's just asking us to do exactly what Jesus did, right? To offer yourselves as a sacrifice. Except, thankfully, we don't have to nail ourselves to a cross because he did it for us. But if you put the next verse in context with it as well, it really talks about what we're talking about here. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The enemy's number one tool is to attack right here and to get us to say, I know the Bible says I'm new, but I don't feel new. This old stuff is just present all the time, and I don't know what to do about it. He can't make us do anything. What he does is that he attacks our minds. That's why if you, read the New, if you read the epistles and you read the New Testament, you're like, everything is about setting our mind on things that are true and pure and right and setting our mind on heavenly things, not on this other stuff. I put those things behind me so that I may press on for the high calling so that I can lay hold of the thing that God laid hold of me for. And I think it's interesting because it says, as we said in Philippians 2, Jesus was equal with God. He was in the likeness of God and said, that's okay. It's not something to be grasped. I'm going to empty myself and become like men so that men can be renewed and transformed back into the image of their creator. Isn't that crazy?